0: Hi everybody, it is Sean once again uh, from Between Two Ravens, bringing you another solo short episode. I know I tweeted about this recently, but I did want to do a two-part series um, called "The Vikings of North America." Two episodes which I plan to have published on uh, Thanksgiving Day, uh, which was last Thursday. Since right now is November 27th, unfortunately, I did get caught up in a lot of things. I traveled up to Upstate New York the weekend prior, and then I had to handle work and uh, you know see a bunch of family for Thanksgiving itself. So. Unfortunately, we're going to, we had to delay the episode a little bit, but anyway, um, one thing that I find pretty interesting is that we have evidence that Scandinavians did land on North America, you know, about 500 years before uh, 1492, which was the year of Christopher Columbus's voyage. So with Thanksgiving, you know, being a holiday that uh, started with um, Europeans relationship with uh, relationships with Native Americans, I thought that it would be fitting loosely fitting I guess to have this episode around this time. Um keep in mind the the Native Americans that I'm going to be discussing in this episode, they're primarily based in Canada. Actually in fact they all are. So I'm not when I say Native Americans I'm not talking about natives of the United States of America, I'm just referring to natives of North America. But anyway, we can get started. There are two works um, that are widely known as the Vinland Sagas, they're both part of the Saga of the Icelanders, the first one being uh The Saga of the Greenlanders, the other one being the Saga of Eric the Red. But anyway, we can go ahead and get started again today. We're going to be discussing the Saga of Eric the Red. Next episode, we're going to be discussing um, the Saga of the Greenlanders, which is very similar. You know, a lot of the same characters are involved. A lot of the, uh, the, I guess the plot points are relatively similar, but there are going to be some uh, changes as well. The version that I read when preparing this episode was uh, translated by Kinova Kunz. So let's get started. The saga of Eric the Red is a relatively quick story. It's about 14 chapters. Each chapter is, you know, roughly a page or two. So let's go ahead and get started with chapter one. So there was a man named Olaf the White, who was the son of King Ingald, who was the son of Helgi, who was the son of Olaf, who was the son of Gudrod, who was the son of Hafdan Whiteleg. This Olaf was the king of Oplands, which is located in Norway. I wanted to make a quick note uh, here. Hafton Whiteleg was actually one of the kings I discussed from the House of Yingling in the previous episode on the historical sons of Freyr. So anyway, Olif went Viking around Britain and became the king of Dublin. He married Odd the Deep Minded, who is the daughter of Kettle Flatnose, who is the son of Bjorn Buna. Odd and Olif had a son named Thorstein, who married a woman named Thurid, who was the daughter of Ivans the Easterner and the sister of Helgi the Lean. Thorstein and Thurid had a lot of children. Thorstein eventually became a powerful king in his own right. Him and Earl Sigurd the Powerful took over land in Scotland. Thorstein eventually became the king there until he was killed in battle by the Scots. Odd, again his mother, then fled. She fled to Iceland. She brought with her a group of 20 freeborn men. She spent the first winter in Bjarnhofen. With her brother Bjorn. She settled at a place named Tham. She erected a cross on Crossaller Hill as she was a Christian. She eventually gave her men lands, all but a man named Vifil, and Vifil actually plays a part uh, in a little bit. Vifil was a former prisoner from Breton. He asked Odd why he was not given land, and she pretty much said that it didn't matter. Um, But then after that, she gave him land anyway, which was aptly named Vifilstall. Vifil's sons were named Thorgir and Thorbjorn. They were promising young men who grew up with their father. Not a lot happening there, but that is the end of uh, chapter one. What you'll see with a lot of these chapters, there's going to be like one off chapters that kind of provide some background to some characters that are going to show up down the road. Chapter two there was a man named Thorvald, who was the son of Asvald Ulfsen, who was the son of Oxthor. Thorvald's son was named Eric the Red. Thorvald and Erik left Norway and sailed to Iceland, as they had been involved in slains, um, meaning they banished for killing people. They claimed land on Hornstrander and settled at Dang- Drangar. Thorvald, Erik's father, died there. Erik married Thjordild, who is the daughter of Jorund Atlasen, and Thjorberg Shiprest. Erik moved south and built a farm at Erikstadr by Vatsnorn. Eric's slaves then caused a landslide to fall on the farm of a man called Valhiof. Valhiof's kin, Filth Ihyoth, then killed the slaves in an act of revenge. Eric then slew Filth for killing his slaves. He also killed his kinsmen, Horathin. Their kinsmen, Gerstein and Od, then sought revenge for their killings on Eric. Eric was then outlawed, but then he eventually traveled elsewhere and claimed separate lands on the islands of Broki and Oxni. While there, Eric lent a man, Thorgest, some boards. Eric wanted the boards back, but was un- unsuccessful when he asked for them. So he took them back anyway, and Thorgest came after him. They fought, and two of Thorgest's sons were killed in the battle. A war then broke out. Eric had the support of Styr and Eicholf of Sfinny, Thorburn Vifilsson, who we mentioned in Chapter 1, and the sons of Thorbrons and Altafjord also supported Eric. Thorgest had the support of Thord Bellower, Thorgir, Aslak, and his son Ilugi. Eric was then decided to be outlawed again by the Thorsnest assembly. While this happened, he was hidden by Ahjof while Thorgest's men searched for him and while his ships were being re- readied to leave. Eric then made the decision to travel west to seek out lands that a Norseman named Gunbjorn, who was the son of Ulfcrow previously spotted by accident while his ship was driven off course. Eric then sailed west, then south after finding lands, this land being Greenland. He ended up spending his first winter on Eriksii Island. Then the following spring, he settled at Ericsfjord. Note that he's naming these places after himself. He spent the second winter at Eriksholmer, then the third winter back at Eriksii, which is at the mouth of Ericsfjord. The following summer, he sailed back to Iceland. Um, Maybe at this point, his banishment ended. The following spring, he then continued his war with Thorgest, but lost. However, at this point, they both ended their feud. Eric then left the following summer to settle Greenlands, the land that he founds, for good. He named it Greenlands because more people may move there if it had a favorable name. As in, we don't want to move somewhere where it's cold and barren and nothing but snow, so let's move to Greenland, where surely there's going to be some green. There's going to be trees and grass um, and everything like that. So chapter three, Thorgir Vifilsson married a woman named Arnora. And again, Thorgir and Thjorbir and Vifilsen were the sons of Vifil, who all the deep-minded uh, brought to Iceland with her and gave, gave land to. Arnora was the daughter of Einar of Lagerbreka who is the son of Sigmund, who is the son of Thistle. Einar had another daughter named Halveg who married Thjordbjörn Vifelsen. Again, that's Thorgir's brother. So two brothers married the two sisters. Thjordbjörn had a daughter named Gudrid. She plays a huge part in uh, the entire saga. She was very attractive and one to be reckoned with. Gudrid was fostered by a farmer and his wife whose names were Orm and Haldis. Orm was a good friend of Thjordbjörn. A farmer named Thorgir, who was a freed slave, had a son named Einar, and this seems to be a different Thorgir. Einar became a successful trader in both Iceland and Norway. In Einar's travels, he came to Orm's farm. Einar stayed there at Orm's farm as a guest and noticed Gudrid's beauty. He asked Orm about her and whether or not she was available to be married. Orm mentioned that many suitors have tried to marry her, but Gudrid had been quite picky. She knew her worth, I guess. Einar stated his intention to marry her anyway. So Einar asks Orm to speak to Thorbjörn about the match, stating he had many lands and riches. Orm seems reluctant to ask, as it may annoy Thorbjörn. However, Orm eventually agreed to ask Thorbjörn about the match. While this was happening, Einar headed south to go back to his home. Note that Einar and Orm discuss Thorbjörn's declining net worth as the reason for the marriage, as in, I will marry. Your daughter and I have many lands and riches, so this is going to be beneficial for your entire family and me. Thorbjorn eventually hosted a feast in which Orm was invited to. At that feast, Orm asked Thorbjorn in private about this match. Orm was correct. Thorbjorn became so pissed off that he kept his daughter Gudrid there and refused to let her go back with her foster father Orm to his farm. He noted that Einar being the son of a slave as the reason. So Gudrid stayed with her father. Next spring, Thorbjörn had another feast and announced that his financial situation was indeed bleak. The rumors that Einar, Einar heard were true. So he would have to leave Iceland and would travel to Greenland with his friend, Eric the Red. And again, Thorbjörn supported Eric in his, in his war. So he sold his land and brought 30 men with him on the voyage, Orm being one of them, funny enough. The voyage was rough due to weather and illness. Orm and his wife ended up dying, along with half of the men. However, they reached Greenland finally. A man named Thorkel lived at Herjolfsnet in Greenland. He allowed Thorbjorn and his men to stay there over the winter, treating them well. So at this point, he hasn't made it to Eric the Red. So moving on to chapter four, this was a lean time in Greenland. Um, there was a lack of good hunting. In the district, there was a woman named Thorbjorg, and this is where the names of the Norse get a little odd. Uh, confusing there's a couple to- there's a couple people that have the same names in in this saga but we have discussed Thiorbjorn, who's on his way to Eric the Red this woman's name is Thorbjorg and it just kind of gets gets all uh, convoluted so Thorbjorg was a seeress she was one of 10 sisters who all had the gift of prophecy however she was the only one that was still alive Thorbjorg would visit different farms mostly by invitation to tell the fortune of its inhabitants so when she arrived at Thorkell's farm again, where is, excuse me, is, he decided to ask why hard times have fallen on his land. So Thorkel invited Thjórbjörg and gave her a high seat of honor at the feast. He asked her to survey his flock, servants and buildings, of which she didn't have much to say. They made her a porridge of kid's milk and was given the hearts of all the animals available there as the meats, which sounds very appetizing. After the feast, Thorkel asked her thoughts. However, she wouldn't give the information he wished for until she stayed there one night. So the following day, she was provided with what she needed to perform her ritual. She required a woman who knew the chance required for the ceremony. However, no woman with that knowledge was to be found. Except for the previously mentioned Gudrid, who happened to be a Christian she knew some of the chants called warlock songs from her foster mother, Haldis, also previously previously mentioned the wife of Gorm, who both died at sea. Gudrid said, however, that she would prefer not to take part in this ritual due to being a Christian. Thjorbj then stated that it could still work, so she should do it, as it would help the people on the farm. Thorkel, again, this is his land, encouraged or maybe forced Gudrid to do it, so she agreed. Thorbjurg created a warding ring, and sat on the perch inside of it while Gudrid sang outside of it. People noticed how beautifully she sang. Hjordbjerg said after the ceremony that the hardships would last no longer and that the times would improve. She also told Gudrid that her fate was now clear to her and she would make the most honorable match of matches in Greenland. However, she would be moving back to Iceland after her descendants would have a bright ray of light shone on them. That next spring, Thjordbjorn left the town. He didn't fancy too much the pagan ways, and he traveled to Bratahild, where Eric was, and that was a part of Eric's fjord. Eric was happy to see his old friends. The following spring, Eric gave Thjordbjorn land at Stokenes. Again, I do apologize if I have any listeners from Greenland, and I said that name incorrectly. So Thjordbjorn built a, an oppressive farmstead there, and that ends chapter four. So chapter five. Eric had a wife named Theodhild and two sons, Thorstein and Leif. And yes, that's going to be Leif Erikson. Both were promising young men, and Thorstein was considered very handsome and stayed at home with his father. Leif, however, sailed to Norway, where he served King Olaf Tryggvason. Um, Olaf Tryggvason, I believe, was the king of Norway from 995 to the year 1000. And apparently the great-grandson of Harold Fairhair, who I also discussed in my previous episode, the historical sons of Frey. So you can maybe take a look at King Olaf and tie him back to uh, to Njord, who started the House of Yinglings, or at least the humanized version of the god Njord. So one summer, Leif had unfavorable winds and had to land in the Hebrides, which are islands off the northwestern coast of Scotland. Leif fell in love with a woman there named Thuraguna, who was from a good family leaf and this is this is in quotes leaf learned she quote knew a thing or two and my guess is that she was a fireball in the bedroom when leaf was able to leave Thorguna asked to come with him leaf was reluctant as she was a woman of high birth and he didn't want to insult her family she said she didn't give a fuck what her family thought leaf still said no to which Thorguna told him that she was pregnant with his child and that when he was of age, she would send him to Greenlands, and that one day she would travel there too. The child's name was Thorgils, and it makes a note here that he did eventually come to Greenlands, and Leif immediately recognized him as his son. Some men believes he had something supernatural about him. After he was at Scotland, before going back to Iceland, Leif traveled to Norway. King Olaf asked him to preach Christianity in Greenlands, So Leif reluctantly agreed as he feared the public's reaction to him. Um, You never want to be the person to say, your gods are wrong. You should convert to my religion. So on the way back from Norway to Greenlands, Leif experienced tough weather um, once again and landed at a place that, quote, had fields of self-sown wheat and vines were growing there. And this is where he accidentally got blown off course and landed in North America On his journey, he also chanced upon a shipwreck and saved the men who were alive there. He showed strong character and kindness and successfully converted Greenland to Christianity at this point. He then became known as Leif the Lucky. Eric, his father, however, was reluctant to convert from paganism. However, his wife, Fjordhild, had him build a church for her anyway, lest she would no longer sleep with him, which Eric was uh, not, not overly fond of, to say the least. The men then wanted to find lands that Leif spotted. Um, So Leif got back to Greenland. He converted the population. He told them his stories of the land that he found. His brother Thorstein among the men that wanted to go. Eric himself, again, their father was convinced to go. And they decided to use the ship that Thorbjorn used to reach Greenland. On the journey, however, they got lost and had to return back to Greenland. And that, that concludes chapter five. So with chapter six, Gudrid and her father agreed for her to marry Thorstein Ericsson. So, again, Gudrid is the daughter of Thorbjörn, and Thorbjörn is good friends with Eric. So, of course, Eric's son Thorstein would be a good match for Gudrid. Thorstein half owned a farm, and this is also where it gets confusing. The other owner of this farm also happened to be named Thorstein. His wife was named Sigrid. So, Thorstein Ericsson, and I'm just going to call him that to, to make it a little easier to understand traveled to his farm where sickness began to spread one by one the inhabitants died until Thorstein Eriksson and the farmer's wife Sigrid became sick as well Sigrid seemed to have visions of her and Thorstein's Thorstein Eriksson's deaths which came true at one point it seemed Sigrid came back to life and tried to get in bed with Thorstein Eriksson again not her husband Thorstein Thorstein Eriksson also died, but seemed to come back to life and sent for his wife, Gudrid. Gudrid did so hesitantly, only because she felt God would protect her. Um, Again, her husband is dead. He should not be summoning her to his bedroom. Thorstein Eriksson told his wife what to do with the dead bodies, which was to bury them in a Christian manner. He also said that she was prophesied to have a good life, but then she shouldn't remarry to a Greenlander. So the dead bodies were sent to Eriksfjord, where burial services were held for them. Thorbjorn eventually died, and his daughter Gudrid inherited his money. She went to live with Eric under his protection. Chapter 7, there was a man named Thorstein Karselfni. He was the son of Thord Horsehead, which is a, lo- a lovely name, um, and lived in a northern town in Iceland. Thorsten, and again, this is not one of the two Thorsteins from earlier, was a successful trader. His mother was Thorun. Thorstein went on a trading mission to Greenland with Snorri Thorbrand's son. They had 40 men with them. Two other men named Bjarni grimolfsson and Thorol Gamlaasen readied their ship for Greenland as well. Both crews arrived to Erik's fjord at the same time. Erik brought some of their wares and invited both crews to stay in the town for the winter, which they both accepted. For that winter's Yule celebration... Karsefni offered their stored food to Eric for the feast, which was flour and grain. After Yule at this point, Karsefni asked Eric for Gudrid's hand in marriage, which Eric agreed to. And again, he being the landowner right here um, and kind of being the new foster father of his friend's daughter Gudrid was able to make this match for her. So that's chapter seven. Chapter eight, Snorri and Thorsten decided to try and find Vinland's. So they prepared their ships and their crews were ready to go. Bjarni and Thorhall, who is called Thorhall the Huntsman, and I mentioned him earlier, also went with them. A man named Thorvald married a woman named Freitas. Freitas was an illegitimate daughter of Eric. Thorvald also went on this journey. The ships that went, they totaled 140 men. After two days of leaving Greenland, they found lands. They found large slabs of stone and noted many foxes' presence. They named this area stone slab lands. They then sailed northward for two days. They found a forested land with many animals and noticed that there was a bear on an island, and they named it Bear Island. They named the forested land Marklands. They traveled two more days and found lands, along with the keel of a ship. They named this Lands. Keel Point, and that's the English uh, translation of it. And they also found beaches um, that they called Wonder Beaches. The ships continued exploring at that point. The story then mentions that t- there were two Scots present, obviously, people from Scotland were people that King Olaf gave to leave, a man named Haki and a woman named Hekia. Haki and Hekia were put on shore to explore by foot while the ships anchored. Three days passed, and Haki and Hekia returned. One brought grapes and the other brought self-sown wheat. They got back on the ships and the ships pulled up their anchors and continued exploring. They found an island called Stromsy, which means stream islands. They sailed up the fjord they called Stromsfjord. They unloaded their ships and began to settle. They noticed some mountains and tall grass. And noticed they, they note that they also noted a lot of bird eggs that were present. The expedition is settling at Stromsfjord, which is in North America and Canada. They spent the winter there, which was harsh as there wasn't much game to hunts, and they didn't have the necessary provisions. They prayed to God to reverse their fortune. The man Thorhall, the huntsman, eventually left the camp, and I wanted to make a note here, Thorhall was actually still pagan. Four days later, Carl Sefni and Bjarni found him on a cliff with his arms stretched and mouth and nostrils open. They asked him to come back with them, which he did. On the way back, they found a beached whale, which they carved up for food and brought to camp. The meat was boiled. However, upon consumption, it made everybody sick. Thorhall noted that the whale arrived due to a poem he made for the god Thor. And he says, didn't old Redbeard prove to be more help than your Christ? And I'm not sure why he said this, because if him praying to Thor brought the dead whale, the beached whale that they ate, the beached whale still made them sick. Maybe I missed something in the text. And if you do know what this kind of signifies or means, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me on social media to let me know. However, after the illness, they decided to throw the whale off the cliff um, because they found it was brought to them by a pagan poem or like a pagan prayer. And they doubled down on receiving their Christian God's mercy. Eventually, their fortunes improved. Again, this story was. Written by Christians, I, I forgot to mention earlier that this story was also written in, in the 13th century, just like all the other saga of the Icelanders. And this is detailing a time, you know, 250 or so years prior when paganism was still around. But you can uh, take that with a grain of—you can take it with a grain of salt. Anything they are saying about their god and the old gods, um, but it is written in the lens of uh, Christians from two to 300 years later. So, event- again, eventually their fortunes improved, including the weather and their ability to catch food. The next spring, they moved further inland. In Stromsfjord. So, chapter nine, it's a pretty quick chapter. They plan their next moves. Thorhall wanted to travel north to find Vinlands. However, Karlsefni believed traveling south would lead to more fruitful lands. They then decided to split up. And when I say split up, Thorhall only went north with nine men, and the rest went with Karlsefni. This is where it gets interesting. Thorhall's ship became lost in storms. And somehow they found their way all the way in Ireland, um, which means they got lost and really lost. They were driven ashore in Ireland, and then they were beaten and enslaved. And that is where Thorhall the pagan died. So chapter 10, back to Carl Stephanie, he headed south. They found more fruitful land to live, which um, contained fields of wheat, rivers with many fish, and forest full of deer, and eventually stayed there a fortnight. They found nothing uncommon until they noticed nine strange boats covered with hides. There were men there. With long poles, they rotated sunwise. The poles made wishing sounds. Snorri indicated that it must be a sign of peace, and he encouraged Carl to get a white shield and lift it up in return. So the white shield, maybe in Viking Age Scandinavia, or in this case North America, signifies a sign of peace. The strangers at this point approached and the strangers are the Native Americans, and they were short in height and looked threatening. They had tangled hair on their heads. After a bit, however, they rowed away. The Norse remains there over the winter. Moving on to chapter 11. The next spring, they noticed hide cover boats rowing from the south. There were many, many ships, more than nine this time. Luckily, they weren't being invaded, but the natives only meant to trade. They did want weapons, however... Carlsephanie and Snorri forbade this. Again you don't want to lose your protection in this uh, strange land that you're not that you're unfamiliar with. The Norse did give them pelts and the natives gave them red cloth. This trade went on for some time. One day, however, the Norse had a bull that got loose and ran into the forest and bellowed loudly. This scared the natives so they ran to their boats and headed south. After three weeks, they had not returned. At this point, the Norse again noticed natives approaching again after the three weeks. This time, rotating their poles counterclockwise or counter sunwise, they were shrieking loudly, they were invading, and a battle ensued. So, you get a battle between Native Americans and Vikings. Eventually, the Norse fled as they were surrounded. At this point, however, Freydis, again Eric's illegitimate daughter came out of her tent and scolded them for running like cowards. She was also pregnant, so she eventually when she did eventually follow her fleeing brethren, she travelled slowly. She eventually was found by the natives in the forest. At this point she noticed a dead man with the sword by him. She knew the man to be Thorbrand's Snorrison. Freydis, daughter of Eric, took up Thorbrand's sword and exposed one of her breasts. She slapped her breast with the sword scaring off the natives they turned back to their boats and rowed away carl sefni and his men came back and praised freitas at this point and she was probably like yeah i did that and i'm pregnant um, and you all ran like scared chicken meanwhile the natives found a dead man with an axe next to him and used it to cut down a tree which they were very impressed with however the axe then broke when they used it to hit a stone and i'm not sure why the author included this here maybe it's um You know, just to kind of signify the uh, differences or like what was lost with this war when it could have been like a time of peace, like the sharing of information and uh, new ways of doing things. And that's just me trying to have a uh, that's just me trying to think positively about this whole uh, this, uh, this whole interaction. But meanwhile, back with the Norse, they realized that although this land was great, they would always be under threat of attack by the natives. So they would need to leave. They sailed north along the shore. It, I want to make a note here. They did find some sleepy natives next to a mixture of deer marrow and blood, and they killed these men. They went back to Stromsfjord and searched unsuccessfully for Thorhall, who, as mentioned previously, died in Ireland after getting lost. So chapter 12. One day, Carlsefni and his men noticed a one-legged creature, which could have been a man. It headed toward a ship that was helmed by Thorvald. The one-legged man shot an arrow into his intestines. Thorvald pulled it out and made a joke of it, but died shortly after. The group then pursued the creature northward. They believe they found where the creature lived, but decided it was best to return home to Stromsfjord, where they stayed a third winter. So at this time, there was consistent quarrels, so they decided to pack up and leave to go back to Greenland. At this point, they realized it's not going to be easy to settle here forever. It's better to go back home where we know the land and we maybe have the numbers to protect ourselves. I think I wanted to make a note here that Carl Sefney had a son named Snorri who was born there and who was three when they left. So you could argue if the sagas were correct, then Snorri was the first European that was born um, in North America. So at first they traveled to Marklands where they found five natives again. They eventually took two of the children and the other natives uh, fled, which there was a, a man and two women. They fled once their boys were taken. The Norse taught these natives their language and had them baptized. The two boys called their father Ovegi and their mother Vethild. They said that the natives had kings that ruled the lands, one of which was named Evald Emon, and the other was Vedi Dida. They also spoke of another land which the Norse assumed was the, quote, land of the white men, which seems to be a mystery as to what they were talking about here on my brief research. I did some very brief research, and a lot of people think it might just be like a legendary or mythical island relatively close to Vinland. It may have some connections with Irish lore. I don't think they were talking about Ireland. I, th- I believe that they were talking about um, an island that may you know, be a part of the Irish myth, that something may have been well-known at that point you know, amongst the population. So they returned to Greenland, and they spent the winter with Eric the Red. Chapter 13, Bjarni Grimolfsson's boat became infested with maggots. And the boat and tow did not have enough room to save any, Everyone, so they pretty much drew straws to see who would live. Bjarni was selected to live. However, he decided to change places with one of the men who was not. After the man asked him to, and so Bjarni died. To sum it all up, the ch- last chapter: Karlsefni sailed back to Iceland with Gudrid. Gudrid was initially rejected by Karlsefni's mother due to being a bad match. Gudrid initially had to stay elsewhere until she had a change of heart after seeing Gudrid's character. Karlsefni's son Snorri had a daughter named Halfrid. Again, Snorri being the first Snorri that was born on North America, at least as far as Europeans are concerned. Halfrid was the mother of Bishop Thorak Runofsen. Karlsefni and Gudrid also had a son named Thiorbjorn, whose daughter was the mother of Bishop Bjorn. Thorgir, who is the son of Snorri Carlsefni, was the father of Yingveld, the mother of the first bishop brands. In this story, in the early 1300s, there's a law speaker of Iceland um, who actually, who also connects his lineage to Gudrid and Karlsefni. So again, it kind of gets back to the question that I always ask and I, I, I get uh, from the YouTuber useful charge, when does myth become legend and when does legend become reality? We have written documentation of... These bishops existing. We also arguably have written documentation that these settlers, these Norse settlers landed, landed in Canada and had run-ins with the native population. And there's actually archaeological evidence that they landed as well. So we feel pretty good about the fact that the Norse actually did land in North America. You know, it's it, it's just like a fun thing to think about, if that makes sense. And, you know, who was to stop somebody from writing this down in Iceland and who's to say it's not actually true as well. I hope that made sense. Next week, I'm going to get into the similar, but a little bit different story on the saga of the Greenlanders, which also details the settling of the brief settlement of of Vinland. But anyway, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, have a great day.